Hi everyone, Paul from the Innovation Community here. Today I'm with Jeanette Schutte, who is the Senior Director of Analytics and Data Science Strategy from Havi. So Jeanette is focusing on the development, the implementation, the maintenance of a community of practice through data science, democratization and standardization, among other things. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Just tell us a bit more about yourself in a few words, an executive summary. Sure. So I started out in a PhD program for developmental psychology, I fell in love with the research and stats. So I ended up going into uh, a research and statistics career. And over the years, I've done um, quite a bit of uh, corporate work. I've done academic work and I've also done some independent consulting. And now I'm uh, back at Javi again. I've been there for about eight years now. And um, I, as you mentioned, I'm leading the analytics and data science strategy team. So where did your data career really start? It started in grad school. So when I, as I said, I started a PhD program in developmental psychology, which I didn't realize at the time was very research intensive with a lot of statistics courses that you have to take. So I started basically more on the statistics side. And at that time, that was a while ago, at that time, data science wasn't really a concept. And um, programming, Python, R, those types of things were, were not really, um, people weren't really doing those things back then. You know, machine learning, AI wasn't something that was uh, the common buzzwords that you hear today. So I basically started out uh, with statistics. And I went into a research statistician role for Sears. And then I ended up at, at the time it was called Persico, which is now Javi. And that's where my forecasting career started. And since then, I've pretty much been involved in anything that, that relates to data analysis. So I do uh, original research. I've been a psychometrician for Chicago Public Schools. I've done lots of program evaluation, including for the federal government. And so my entire career, in one way or another, has positioned around data, data analytics and research. And how has that evolved over time to the current role? That's a good question. So. Um, Initially, my focus in school was more on the behavioral sciences, and a lot of the stuff that I did in academia was around social and behavioral sciences, including the consulting that I did. Um, over the past 10 years or so, the focus has become much more on um, corporate types of objectives, so more around marketing, supply chain analytics, and also the focus has been more around data science advanced technologies. So over the past, let's say, six years or so, um, the focus has been less on um, the types of platforms, the enterprise platforms that people would be using, you know, maybe 10 years ago to open source tools, open source technologies, and uh, following more of the data science discipline that, that a lot of people are more familiar with today than they were, you know, 10 years ago. So at the heart of it, what are you up to in your current role? So currently, um, well, I'll back up a little bit. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of organizational leadership uh, transformation over the years, right? And so I have been leading teams to try to bring um, the data science discipline uh, to kind of infuse that within the culture of the organization. And so 
basically a lot of the work that I started about six years ago or so has kind of led to where I am today and what I'm doing today. So right now my focus is less on um, actually managing teams that build and deliver against machine learning and AI and more around uh, advanced analytics and data science strategy. So in other words, how do we leverage advanced analytics and data science within the organization? How do we integrate those capabilities into our products? How do we use those capabilities for cost savings? How do we develop a culture? How do we develop the capabilities internally? How do we augment with external capabilities? It's also, um, it, it also pertains to how are we making sure that we have an outside in view? How are we bringing external views with it, you know, into the organization to create a more competitive advantage? And also it's bringing our capabilities and our views to the external world as well, to make sure that we are, um, we are building our brand and, and making sure that the world can understand that we have these capabilities and that we are, um, credible players within the space. And you sound like someone who's been really building this, this reputation over, over data. For you, what really interests you about working in this space? So I love, I love data analytics because it's so powerful. I mean, really, you can't think of a discipline that couldn't benefit from it, right? Not one specific field or discipline that somebody can say, analytics wouldn't help. Analytics touches everything we do in every aspect. And so it's incredibly powerful to have those types of capabilities and to know that, you know, the types of things that we do today can, can actually solve many different problems. So I think there's a specific, um, I don't want to say power to it because that sounds kind of negative, but there's a, there's a capability that is so incredibly important in this world. And to be part of that is really exciting. I think there's so much that can be done through analytics. And a lot of people say, well, you know, it's a way to make money, right? People, you know, can get a greater return on your investment through analytics. You can, you know, get a better, uh, have a better marketing campaign. And all of that is true. There's the other side of analytics that can do a lot of good for the world and solve a lot of the world's problems. And that can be done while also making money. So it's sort of being able to understand how to leverage analytics in, a, in an economic and commercial way that not only brings, um, brings value, but also allows you to give the value back and, and help the, you know, your community, whether it be your local community or a broader community. There's so much potential in analytics. So it's, it's a very exciting career. Now on the machine learning data science side, <clears throat> I realized, you know, several years ago that that was the direction the field is going. And at least I had the foresight to say, okay, I need to get on this train. I need to learn more about this. And really data science is not new to me. It's just new terminology. A lot of the algorithms, a lot of the methods and, and the things that people call data science today are things that I've been doing for 20 years. We just didn't call it that. Um, there, there are some twists, which, you know, obviously include the more advanced technologies, the open source tools. And, and that was new for me and for my organization. So that was a learning curve. But really, it was, this is the direction the world is going. And we either need to, we need to be part of that or, you know, we're going to get left behind. 
and it was a, 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 a gamble that paid off, I would say. And, and just, you know, going back to your time at Havi, uh, building that data science team was something that we, we previously spoke about. How did you succeed in building the data science team there? That, that's a good question. Um, it wasn't easy. It never is, right? So I would say the beginning really just started with an informal, creating an informal culture of curiosity. So when I came back to Javi eight years ago, I, I realized that there was a lot of talent there. There always was, right? That was nothing new. But what was new was that people were really interested in expanding their knowledge and capabilities. They were really, I mean, hungry to learn more and do more, more advanced techniques. And so what we, what I did was I started an informal group that was called RECI for short, but basically it was research, innovation, and continuous improvement. And it started with just some people at the time that was the business analytics business unit. And we, based, we just started with lunch and learns. We got together at lunch, you know, a couple times a week, and we started pulling open source data. We started playing around in open source tools. We started uh, uh, implementing new advanced um, a- analytic technology or uh, algorithms. So basically, I'll give you a specific example. Instead of doing maybe a basic uh, multiple linear regression, we're implementing hierarchical linear models. So we're basically trying to take what we currently, the capabilities that we currently were leveraging and expand upon them and try new ways of analyzing data and solving problems that we, you know, we've been solving for years. And we did see, um, I don't know if it's causal, I hope it's causal. We did see some early benefits in terms of our ability to do new product forecasting. So we implemented some of these advanced analytics and our forecast error, uh, in the first year of doing this, our forecast error dropped by 50%. And then the second year, it dropped again, um, not quite as much, but we, we were seeing significant improvements in our ability to do some of the things that we were doing before. And I do attribute it to some of the methodologies and, and um, advanced analytics that we implemented as part of this informal group. And it just kind of spread and people were very excited about it. And then um, we created an analytics professionals network where we expanded it beyond just our BU. And we tried to start to get people very excited about analytics. What is analytics? We created, um, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So from all of that, you know, research, innovation, continuous improvement, analytics professionals network, the company ended up creating an innovation team. It was a small innovation team, and and I was um, one of those that was handpicked to be on it. And that is really when some of the product development and Scrum, you know, that's where a lot of the stuff started to happen. So as part of that new role that I took on, um, you know, I was hiring, I hired the first data scientist for the organization. And it just kind of grew from there. We were, you know, we were um, adopting agile methodologies, applying Scrum. We had a Scrum master. We started developing a predictive analytics software uh, in Azure. So all of these things were new to us. You know, implementing, we, you know, we integrated Databricks and Spark, and we just started to build this ecosystem. Now, obviously, when I say we, there was a huge role that tech, our tech organization played in all this. We could not have done, I couldn't, we could not have done what we did without the leadership and support of our tech organization. So I, I need to make that very clear. So we were able to um, 
to do something, build something that was new to hobby, right? And from that, the center of that's the Advanced Analytics Center of Excellence that I was leading was born. And um, we did a, a lot of work within the organization to try to help different teams sort of jumpstart their data science um, capabilities. And after probably a few years uh, and a lot of organizational change, we've the, the organization decided that really the direction that my team should go is less on managing resources uh, and pro projects or products my team specifically, like obviously we still have people doing that within the organization and focusing more on strategy. And so that's why I'm in the role that I'm in, which I took in like late April, early May. And that's the, the more strategic data science role. That's a, a, a fantastic case study that I know a lot of organizations are, are struggling with at, at the moment. So thanks for sharing. What are some of the other major successes that you've achieved over your career? In general or at hobby specifically? Uh, in general. I think one of the coolest things personally that I did um, was I started my own consulting practice. And when I was in academia full time, um, so I was at, you know, like I said, I was at hobby. I left for a while. I was in academia for six years and then went back to hobby. And, and while I was in academia, I really grew my consulting practice. And um, this is a funny story, but uh, I wanted to try to get a contract, right? I thought, let me see if I can do this. It's just me, just Jeanette, right? I don't have a team. Let me see what I can do. And there was this trial basis where you could get access to government contracts, you know, RFPs and things like that. And I'm like, I'm going to do this trial thing and I'm going to see if I can get something. And I, I uh, submitted an RFP for a federal contract uh, for the Office of National Drug Control Policy, the ONDCP with the executive branch. And um, I really didn't think anything of it. And I don't remember how long it was. Three or four weeks later, I get an email from them that I got the contract. And I was just like, wow, this is the coolest thing. I just got a federal contract with the government. And so to me, um, doing that was just it was really cool because I just never thought that I could go off and start my own consulting practice and do something like that. And a lot of people will say, well, Jeanette, why didn't you take that further? You know, why didn't you pursue your own business and why aren't you doing that? And the reality of the situation is I did very well as a, as a consultant, but um, I never really wanted to take the leap of completely going off on my own and being responsible for like hiring people and, and, and running a business myself from scratch. So I, I didn't ever, I never actually took that, that road, but, uh, and I don't regret not taking that road, but I would say that some of the coolest stuff that I did was when I did independent contracting. I also did some work with the Boys and Girls Club in Northwest Indiana, and we really did some neat things with, with some of the programs that they had there. And I'm proud of that work because that work really is, is where I, I've given a lot back to the community. I feel like I've really helped people, you know, that, that to me, that's, that's when it's, that's when it's a win-win when you can make a living and help people at the same time. That's the best you can ask for. Fantastic. So can you tell us about what you feel was the biggest impact that you made on a transformation? 
Well, I would say it's what we just talked about. It, it was getting my organization to really adopt data science as a discipline and realize that this is the direction we absolutely have to go. Adopting um, all at the same time. How do you, you know, it's one thing to try to build predictive analytics software. It's a, for the first time, you know, implement data science into a product, right? That's one thing. It's another thing to, at the same time, try to do agile. It's another thing at the same time to use cloud, my, you know, Azure ecosystem. So it's, it's hard enough to do one of those things, but to try to do all three of those things simultaneously for the first time is pretty daunting, right? So when you think about being able to pull that off, I, to me that to me that's pretty exciting. And again, I cannot take the full credit for it. There were lots of people that um, partnered with me to do that. Like, again, tech is a, is a huge partner, but also people on my team and people in the business that work with us that we could not have done it without. So um, I say yes, I'm proud of it and, and I'm part of it, but I certainly cannot take full credit for for us getting to that point. And on that note, uh, how would you describe your own leadership style when working on things like this? I don't know that there's a specific leadership style that I fall into. I mean, I suppose you could say to some extent I'm a servant leader. Um, I, I, I buy into that basic philosophy. I am very open door. So, and, and I'm, I'm what you see is what you get. So I'm, I really try to be transparent and um, if I err on the side of anything, it's probably I'm telling too much, like being too transparent. But I feel that um, having that kind of transparency really helps build the trust and the um, buy-in that, that you want the, the team to have. I also um, allow myself to be vulnerable. And I have been told that that's one of the things that people like about me the most. And that's, that's what gives me my leadership um, positioning is be allowing myself to be vulnerable. So I would say that um, I'm a vulnerable leader. I'm a transparent leader. I'm a servant leader. I hold people accountable, but I also take into consideration that life happens and we need to, we need to think about not just what we're trying to do, but we need to think about the people that we're working with and, 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 and you know, what they may be going through at any given point in time. And you know, how do you really engage and, and communicate with team members? Is it the same sort of style in, in terms of a servant leadership? Do you wait for them to come to you? Do you find there's already engagement there at Havi now and, it, and it's better than it was? Yeah, the, our, I think our culture is actually excellent right right now at Havi, and especially from a data science perspective. I, I couldn't be happier with where the culture is today. Um, I, I think the way that I engage my team I tend to be fairly hands-off, so I only step in and take over if I sense that either, um, you know, things are, my team is overwhelmed, right? So one, one, one reason why I would is if my team is just overwhelmed and, and there's bandwidth issues, so definitely would step in. I don't have any problem rolling up my sleeves. I participated in writing, even though it wasn't the greatest. In the early stages, I participated in writing some of the prototype code and, and, and building some of the models myself. I'm still going into Azure and doing trainings as part of our data science, you know, upskilling challenge. So I'm, I'm just, I try to be hands-on as well. Um, I don't feel like because I'm a senior director that I, I shouldn't have to do any of the work that the team is doing. I, I, in fact, I, I think the opposite. So 
I will get involved. I will roll up my sleeves, but I try not to step on the toes of my team. So if, if they have it covered, I kind of stay, you know, at bay. If there are, again, bandwidth issues, or if I do think that something is not going the way that it should, then obviously I will step in. I have an excellent team and I have excellent colleagues. So for the most part, I can, I can rely on them to do what needs to be done. You've really taken the data science team at Havi on, on this amazing journey. Where do you currently see the biggest opportunity for improvement? I think this probably will be true for a lot of organizations. It's scaling faster. Scaling is hard. And one of the things, and I've mentioned this in other, other venues as well, one of the things that we learned um, through all of the growing pains that we went through is to, as much as possible, prototype in the environment that you want to scale in. So, for example, if you're, if you're prototyping on a Jupyter notebook on your local computer, that's not going to scale, right? So let's prototype in Azure using Databricks and Spark because we know that's where we're going to, that's the environment in which we're going to have to scale. So scaling is really, really hard. And I think figuring out how to scale faster is going to be a big opportunity. And along with scaling faster comes uh, really honing in on and being strategic about the commercial models and the business models that we adopt. I would say that over the next 18 months or so, the two of the big area, three of the big areas that are opportunities for us to improve would be around scaling faster, um, commercialization, and business, well, I guess commercialization and business models could kind of go together, but they are, they are distinctly, you know, they have distinct characteristics and attributes. So I would say those are the three areas, uh, business models, commercialization strategy, and scaling faster. And what do you think was the biggest mistake you made during your career? Um, I, I think the biggest mistake that I probably made in my career um, is I tend to be introverted. A lot of people think I'm extroverted because I'm, I, I appear extroverted on the surface, but I'm introverted. And so one of the things that probably holds me back is I don't reach out enough. I don't, I don't ask for help enough. Um, you know, I, I avoid that sometimes to a fault, but I just need to get out there and really network more. So doing this podcast, it's not horribly uncomfortable for me. I don't mind it. It's just, you know, I'm having a conversation, but getting out there and really networking with people is a challenge for me. So I would say probably one of the things that I have done to myself to limit myself is really not getting out there as much as I should maybe not asking for help when I, at times. Well, you're doing a fantastic job now. How has COVID-19 really affected your role and the wider organization too? Uh, so it's affected my role because we've been asked to come in and really try to help figure it out, right? So that's how it's affected my role personally. Uh, I have a team member that's been working very closely with one of our supplier partners, as well as Microsoft to really try to figure out how, how has COVID impacted our customer sales. And it's not just, you know, how does it impact their sales, but it's disentangling what truly is COVID versus what is policy, right? 
uh, how do we how do we take a lot of these different learnings and apply them in the future if, if we should have you know another type of covid um, incident and it, it, some other zoonotic disease or what have you or if there's a major like rehit of this unfortunately it looks like there may be but um, so my team my team has been directly involved to try to do modeling work with partners so it's, it's forced us to be more collaborative with our vendors and our partners um, we also really just jumped on it. So as soon as all this stuff started to take effect, we went and got open source data. We started, you know, we've never worked with epidemiological data before, right? Like that's not something Javi does, but we did. We got the data from John Hopkins. We started to get as much external data as we could. We worked with partners on mobility data. So basically, um, you know, we, we really just had to be super proactive and say, what can we do? What can we get? Let's just go, let's do it. It's allowed us to have a little bit more freedom without necessarily asking for permission to do some things, right? Because we're like, okay, we just have to get around this, get, get ahead of this. Um, I would say that on, on the, um, on a broader company side, obviously it's negatively impacted us because our, it's impacted our customers. So there has been, I mean, Javi's done an excellent job of, of being able to avoid having to lay people off. Um, we were able to go, uh, the, the entire global organization was, was able to go remote overnight. So huge kudos to our tech organization for allowing that to happen pretty much seamlessly. So there's, you know, and that's, that's probably everybody's story, right? Everybody had to go remote overnight. We did it without a and I think that was um, just a really, really good story. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really, COVID-19 has impacted us from our, our collaboration, our innovation, and the types of, of things that we've been working on and doing that's different for us, for Javi. It's um, given uh, the company even more visibility into why advanced analytics and data science are critical. Um, it, and, it, and again, it is, um, it's hurt us in some ways negatively because it's affected our customers significantly. Yeah, that is the, is the dream as well. What's your top working from home tip? <laughs> yeah, find a place outside the house that you could go, right? No, um, I, have, um, I have two children. So I have a 17-year-old senior who, who attends Illinois Math and Science Academy in their remote. So he's a piece of cake. He's in his room, he's got it covered. I also have a soon to be 13 year old who's in seventh grade. And that's the thing that's more challenging. So if you have younger children and you're working from home, um, obviously this is, everybody's already figured this out. So this is not you know, any kind of ingenious thing that I'm coming up with, but you know, obviously you wanna try to keep your spaces as uh, separate as possible. Um, for me personally, I think I gotta get up and walk around. I gotta stretch my legs because I can't sit and focus all day at the computer. I need to be like I'm back at the office where we change, we change classes, right? We're moving up and down the stairs. We're going to different rooms. I think you really need to kind of get up and, and just move around a little bit and break it up because it's, it's hard to keep the focus for so long. Um, the other thing too with working from home, I actually really like working from home so it doesn't bother me like it may others, but we try to do happy hours at work and we try to make sure that um, we stay connected as a team. So obviously, 
So, you know, people don't want to have a whole bunch of meetings thrown on their calendar. That's not very efficient with time. But we definitely want to, at least on a monthly basis, if not a, a you know, biweekly basis, have some sort of social. We just had something through our Hobby Wise group where we did like a murder mystery online for like an hour and a half. And leadership, senior leadership was involved. Um, we have a tech person who does, uh, you know, a social once a month. So it's really... It's making sure that we have an opportunity to keep people connected. I can't just get up and walk over to my colleague's desk or office anymore, right? So, you know, try maybe office hours, having office hours for folks might be a good way to do things as well. So you got to keep that connection, right? And, and I think a lot of people probably figure that out by now. Yeah, you have to stop doing your murder mysteries at the office on, on heavy time. You have to, have to do them <laughs> online now. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Um, you know, I, I think really it's more about not limiting yourself, right? Because, and this is common for females in particular, and maybe other um, underrepresented groups. We always, we, we shouldn't say always, we tend to have that, um, that complex, that inferiority or imposter syndrome, I think is what they call it, imposter syndrome complex. And I think having somebody tell you something at a young age that makes you feel like you can do anything, you truly have the capability to do anything is very important. I really think we need to empower young people to believe that, that there are no limits on what they can do. And so for me, the best advice was, you know, truly you can do whatever you want to do and don't let anybody tell you what you can do. You decide what you can do for yourself in your life. What are you curious about right now? So I'm in grad school. I have a PhD already, but I'm going back and getting a master's in biology with a focus on environmental conservation, uh, which also uh, relates to sustainability. So that's what I'm curious about now. I'm curious about how do we stop the decline of biodiversity? How do we mitigate and become resilient against climate change, which obviously is going to have huge implications for supply chains and food systems and supply chains moving forward. Um, and I'm also doing a little bit with GIS, geographical information systems, learning about um, the different use cases, uh, applications, and, and tools around GIS. And, you know, that, for those who may not know, GIS has a lot of applications. You can use it to predict where the next big COVID outbreak will be. You could use it for site selection. You could use it to find conservation sites, um, all, all kinds of different uh, use cases for that. So that's what I'm curious about now. What, who is your favorite uh, leader or author, whether that's in the data science space, the general business space, or, or anything really? So I would have to say um, the late Steve Irwin, and I know a lot of people are, laugh about that, but I truly, I truly think he was um, ahead of his time and, and in quite simple way, you know, like he's, He's a thought leader. He's definitely, he was a thought leader. He did things that nobody else could do. He, he led people to really change. And, and, you know, I'm not sure. Are you familiar with who Steve Irwin is? He's, he was, okay. He was the crocodile hunter, right? So a lot of people are not familiar 
with all of the stuff that he did. He didn't just help animals. He didn't just buy land and, and help conserve and take care of animals and educate people and get people passionate about it so they would adopt similar behaviors and, and want to save wildlife. Um, and there's a hundred reasons why that's important, which I won't get into right now. But um, he also did a lot for humanity. And I, and I think a lot of people don't realize how much he actually did. Like, for example, the tsunami uh, victims. You know, he, he did so much to help people. And, and, and he, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm, he, he awes me. I just look at him and his family, and I think they're just such amazing people. Obviously, along the same lines would be someone like Jane Goodall. And I think she's particularly interesting because she's a female, right? And when she went to Gombe uh, back, you know, when she was in her early 20s, she wasn't allowed to go by herself because she's a female. So she had to be escorted by someone. And it didn't have to be a man, so she went with her mother. And she tells the story about how her and her mother went, that went to Africa and how she just built this career and, this, and changed the world. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, just coming from basically nowhere. She wasn't, she didn't come from a high pedigree. She didn't come from money. And she came at a time where women still didn't really have the same privileges and rights that they do today. And I think it's just tremendous that she was able to do what she has done over the years. Yeah, she's a fantastic example of, of conservation and, and what she's done for primates is, is incredible. Uh, last question, what advice would you give for aspiring women in data? Um, I guess I, I don't know that my message would be too much different for a woman. On a personal note, um, this is personal. So as a woman, I think your challenge is going to be different than a man in your personal life. Um, it's, at least for me, I mean, I, I'm a little older now, you know, I got my PhD almost 20 years ago now. It'll be 20 years in January that I walk down the aisle. So, uh, you know, to get the degree. So, um, it was really hard being a female getting a PhD because a lot of people in my personal circle, you know, particularly just dating, didn't really want to date a girl getting a PhD. So I don't know if that has changed over the years, but there, there is, there was a lot, it was difficult for me from a personal perspective, especially if you're in a field that's male dominated to, um, to have that, to, my social life was affected by it. From a, a business professional perspective, I would say that it's probably the same message for a female and a male, and that is make sure that you have good social emotional intelligence, right? You really need to make sure that you have those soft skills. You need to be empathic. You need to um, be self-aware. You need to understand the business. Make sure you develop your business and commercial acumen. Make sure that you, um, you stay current. Never stop learning. Constantly learn. And if you're able to tell a data analytics story to the business in a way that they understand, you know, that, that um, being able to take the, the visualizations, create the visualizations, and, and tell the story, that is so critically important. So if you can do those things well, you will probably go far. Great advice from Jeanette Chute, Senior Director of Analytics and Data Science Strategy at Habi. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you, Paul. I appreciate your time as well.